Hello and welcome once again to episode 32 of Code Completion. We're a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name once again is Dimitri Bunyol and I'll be your host for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey. And we have a special guest completionist today, Lynn. Hello. Uh, so Lynn, you've been uh, in development for a few years. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and why DubDub pertains to you? <laughs> uh, hi, once again, I'm Lynn. Uh, I'm a junior developer. Um, I started in 2019, so that was the first dub dub that I went to, and yeah. <laughs> and you have some apps on the App Store, correct? Yeah, I have two apps on the App Store. One is called Hungry, the other one's called Notfa, and so, exciting stuff. You'll recognize those as frequent <laughs> sponsors to our <laughs> our lovely show. Um, so uh, let's go ahead and get right into it. So as usual, before we get into our main topic, it's time for our indie app spotlight. Uh, so first up is Film Log by Simon Braun, uh, a straightforward movie diary that helps you keep track of what you watched, any notes you've taken, and what you're looking forward to. Uh, Film Log makes it easy to search for movies to add and even allows you to customize which movie posts are shown uh, to customize your experience. Uh, you can support Simon by downloading FilmLog completely free and checking out the $3.99 in-app upgrade for all its pro features. Next, we have The Archive by Christian Tates, a Mac app dedicated to making it easy to take notes. Uh, the Archive supports Markdown as a lightweight way of stylizing your text, so you can concentrate on taking notes in its clean and simple user interface. The Archive costs $19.99, but comes with a 60-day free trial, so please give it a try to show your support towards Christian. And finally, we have Sensei by Oscar Groth, a fully featured hardware and software monitor for your Mac. So Sensei can not only give you live information on how your Mac is performing, uh, but also help you optimize and clean up your Mac so it runs even better. Sensei can even help you uninstall pesky applications that litter their bits all over the place. Uh, so Sensei either costs $29 per year or $59 as a one-time purchase with guaranteed access to all future updates, so be sure to give it a try to support Oscar. And if you are an indie developer, we want to hear from you. Please reach out to us on Twitter at CodeCompletion via DM so we can spotlight your app uh, in this section as well. Uh, so this leads straight into our uh, main topic for today. Um, and as we record, it is DubDub Week, so DubDub 2021. And uh, we are recording right after, uh, or the day after, uh, the, the keynote and the State of the Union. So there's a ton of new stuff to talk about. Um, so Spencer, what is the, the leading topic that you are most interested in this year? Oh, I'm not sure about the leading, like the most interesting thing. Um, but um, I, I spent a couple hours today um, just watching a few sessions, and there have been some really interesting things um, where, to me, it felt like the keynote was almost more uh, like customer-facing, uh, very much uh, surface-level uh, information, right? Even even less uh, new, you know, new APIs were were shown or anything. It was it felt very almost just like another Apple event to me. Um, State of the Union was a little better, but it was, you know, um, uh, still somewhat like that. However, today, as I've been looking through these um, these sessions, you know, obviously they're great and they, they do really well. 
A um, couple of them, I'm just going to kind of list them off and we can kind of talk about whatever sounds the most interesting are. Sounds good. Um, I think a big one is, of course, async await. And I dove into uh, one of the sessions that was, uh, I can't remember exactly what it's called. It was, you know, 30 minutes and it was a really good introduction into, you know, how to make it work with, uh, like, completely on its own, how to make it work with completion closures. And it was really cool. It seemed seemed very much like you could adopt it at your own pace, which I liked where you don't have to necessarily convert everything over from GCD over to async away. It's kind of, you know, they're still interoperable, which I thought was cool. Um, something with that was just the amount of code. One example that they had was, you know, a, more or less like a 20 line um, network call to grab an image, I think it was. And mm-hmm. it ended up boiling it down to something more like, five or six lines if i remember right so that was cool and also uh they're integrating async await into testing which i thought was awesome because i remember learning expectations and also trying to teach expectations and that was a hard thing to for people to get their minds uh wrapped around so it was really cool to also see that integrated into testing uh as well yeah expectations i expect uh to be a thing of the past yeah uh, now that (laughs) the the test itself can knows that stuff is coming and doesn't need to necessarily stop uh waiting for it um and that's really what async await does for you is it writes your closure on your behalf so that way you can concentrate on making something that looks linear um but it's still going to be a nested like nested closures with the amount of awaits that you have um the code isn't you're not gaining any new functionality with this you're just getting more readable um, and easier to understand code. Mm-hmm. One thing I did enjoy um, that they were talking about was, oh, and now I already forgot the terminology. I think it was suspending where, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, the, the system is able to take, uh, make use of any thread that you have some asynchronous work going on if it's not as important and it needs to perform some UI update. It's not completely blocking the thread, but it's kind of, you know, uh, letting you pass over control from yourself to the system and vice versa. Um at your own leisure and i'm i'm hopeful about the performance implications of that as well yeah so just using async await it doesn't really involve threading at all um as we said it's it's just the closures but there are some new apis that kind of replace gcd for the most part under the hood um and those ones work just like gcd in that if you do have a lot of um if you do have a lot of uh, work that needs to be done, it will make as many threads as it needs uh, rather than as many threads as you specify. Um, so it really takes care of that burden away from you, the developer, so you don't really have to think about it too much. A couple of the other ones that I thought were interesting, a little bit smaller, but um, the I was watching what's new in AppKit as well, and there was the mm-hmm. at invalidating um, property wrapper, um, which is cool for being able to invalidate uh you know, things based on, uh, like layout, uh, constraints. There were, there were four or five different ways of, right. And drawing, um, anyway, really cool. I, I was hoping that that would be something that would be available in UI kit as well, but it doesn't seem like it. I watched the what's new in UI kit. I I think it is available in UI kit. And if it isn't, it's stupidly easy to implement as well. Oh, good. Uh, like they, the method, it works the same way as you would have done it manually. So just saying set needs display or set needs a layout is essentially yeah. all it's doing. 
Um, it's just making it uh, a nice, just less nice boilerplate sugar. Uh, yeah, yeah, and less less boilerplate um, for the most part. What does it yeah, mean to sure. invalidate layout? So basically, anytime the layout needs to change, you tell the system we no longer need this. We want the layout to change. And it's going to do it when it's convenient for the system to do it. So if five things say one after the other, we need the layout to change. We need the layout to change. We need the layout to change. It's not going to tell the layout to change five times. It's just going to keep accumulating the fact that it needs to change. And then when it's ready to, it will change the layout. Okay. That makes sense? Kind of. (laughs) It's kind of similar to like a state variable in SwiftUI where when you change the Mm -hmm. state of a state variable then it you know reruns all of the view code and it's like oh now this uh, button needs to be selected or something like that it's just a way of saying there needs to be some kind of update mm-hmm. and it's a way of like passing the work on to later uh, so that way you can very efficiently mark a bunch of things as being changed and then when it's ready to it will go ahead and draw or will go ahead and lay out okay um Small things like just UI changes, button styles, even tint colors mm. to uh, everywhere, tint colors to, uh, or accent colors, I think they call them, to mm-hmm. things like segmented controls and all that are cool. And I was yeah, just buttons, thinking... Buttons on iOS finally get borders after yes. 10 years. <laughs> Not only that, but they have, you know, the gray background. They have the, the mm-hmm. fully opaque backgrounds. And I was just thinking, like, how funny is it, like, how stoked and excited we can be for like new buttons and that's just like a weird thing but i was like yes i love this new buttons awesome <laughs> don't have to build these from scratch <laughs> exactly i mean like mm-hmm. you could do it but just more more work for you mm-hmm. um and then a couple other things were like um image resizing that's something that i've i've done in a couple of my apps and it just has a built-in function to do image resizing to turn things into thumbnails and i thought you know it's a very simple thing, but mm-hmm. something that I'm honestly looking forward to because the way that I'm doing it is probably not great. Um, so being able to just say, like, I want this thumbnail to be this CG size, awesome. So I think kind of some good quality of life improvements. We didn't see changes to everything, and we didn't see tons of new introductions, but I think overall um, some really cool new language and API features are, are going to be coming here uh, in the fall. Mm-hmm. I definitely think after after a decade plus of going to WWDC that this is mo- probably the lightest WWDC in terms of API changes. There's really not a lot to be overwhelmed by in terms of mm-hmm. what's new. Uh, and I think that's a great thing because it means that instead of concentrating on adding, 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 uh, Apple instead took the time to uh, polish and uh, make things work better um, and like those those uh, ease of life changes that you mentioned, like having a method to just generate a thumbnail, it's always been easy to generate a thumbnail or it's always been easy to make a custom button, but now you don't have to even do that. And I think that was always the mentality uh, that made Coco a much better application framework than most other application frameworks of the time is that it came with a toolbox of stuff that was ready to go. Um, and all you needed to do was customize it for your use case of the app that you're building. You didn't need to kind of go uh, under the hood of, of the framework and really start tinkering with a bunch of stuff. And it's, it's good to see Apple going back to that and making a lot of things just easier to use, um, especially 
areas that have been heavily used. Um, so I, I think that's that's a great direction that Apple went in this year. Um, and I'm almost happy that the keynote didn't really have a ton of stuff for developers. Like there wasn't a lot that uh, that we need to adapt to uh, to make a lot of functionality work, like the universal control where you can move your mouse mm-hmm. from one computer to an iPad to a different computer on, across the desk. Like you don't need to do anything in your application for that to work, but you benefit by being a part of an ecosystem that someone might have if you're just an iPad app, someone working on a Mac can now suddenly start using your app that's open right next to them. Um, and if you support drag and drop, then all of that is well integrated. Um, and I think that's a great direction. Yeah, no, yeah, like you said, it really is uh, maybe a good thing. And, oh, uh, at work, um, you know, we, we finished the keynote. We I went up to the office. Everyone's vaccinated and stuff, and we were safe and everything. Um we watched the keynote and we watched the State of the Union in the afternoon. And by, by the end of both of them, we kind of remarked exactly what you said, where we don't really have to do much uh, by way of changes to our app, which is awesome because generally, uh, you know, you could have some some breaking changes or you need to implement something. You know, it, it's been deprecated. Now it's been um, completely phased out or something. It's, you know. It's pretty light on that front. So uh, everything that I've kind of talked about are probably more things that I'll be using in the m- more immediate future for myself rather than at work. And that's that's kind of nice to like do it at your own pace where um, in 2019 when Swift UI came out, all, Combine also came out and there were a bunch of things and everyone gets that um, anxiety, I guess, of feeling like you have to learn everything and there's always you know those those tweets from everyone like everyone chill out it's all good we don't need to you know uh burden ourselves with learning these brand new frameworks the day that they come out or something so uh kind of having that light amount of uh information developer information is is nice like you say that said it's been like since 2019 when swift ui just came out it's been three years um, and Swift UI finally grew up, I feel like, this year. Like, there's a lot of new stuff uh, there. Um, and it really is kind of fleshing itself out in terms of being a fully featured UI framework uh, to build out your uh, UI. Uh, Lynn, was there anything that you saw that you think might be useful in your apps uh, that came in Swift UI this year? I was worried you're gonna ask me because I can't remember what we watched earlier. <laughs> I think kind of like Spencer just mentioned, I'm a bit overwhelmed, kind of like you know, since I'm just starting out, and yeah, I'm a bit overwhelmed considering like there's so many things to keep up with, and everyone's constantly like on Twitter posting new stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, everything I watch, I kind of seem like just blank out afterwards so i can't tell you anything but there's definitely some cool stuff i just remember that <laughs> no and that's that's maybe the best part is um often what i'll do is i'll i'll just make notes about whatever you know i'm i'm watching and then i mean you could you could install the xcode beta and start playing around with it but you know they're not even going to really be something that you at the very most might want to implement until the fall when Xcode 13 is out and you can actually submit apps using all of this, these Mm -hmm. new APIs and stuff. So 
there's plenty of time to learn it and you know um even brand new stuff you don't have to touch they you know mention new stuff with reality kit and um there's new swift ui things and everything but you can take it at your own pace like i haven't really touched much of combine at all is that a bad thing probably <laughs> but it's not like i've needed it in my day-to-day -day job or else i would have learned it by now so i i definitely understand the feeling but don't don't feel that way if possible or at least to a minimal degree that said on the topic of combine i feel like it may have been ill-timed when it did come out because combine is all about chaining uh different modifiers after one another much like swift ui is for views uh, but a lot of these chains uh process data in different ways via publishers to sources and cancelable and all that um and uh that word jumble may indicate that i too have never used combine but as of this year, it seems like you may never really need to really dive head straight into Combine because async await is a language level feature that really makes a lot of what Combine offered available to everything else. So, uh, for instance, on the topic of like URL sessions, you no longer have to have clunky uh, completion handlers to take care of the data that's coming back from a network request you can just go ahead and chain that um, with a bunch of other methods. And as long as they're all asynchronous, you can go ahead and have a very clear pathway from point A to point B. Uh, and that kind of negates a lot of the need for Combine. Now, there are certain things that Combine offers uh, that can probably play into this, but it makes it a lot less of like a singular thing that you need to learn uh, and much more a bunch of building blocks that you can interchange with a whole bunch of other things. Um, and, uh, I think that is, uh, I think that's a good thing to be honest, because it was a whole bunch of complexity that was added at once. Um, and it doesn't seem to have changed at all, um, the past two years, which was surprising, honestly. Yeah. And now that you mentioned that, that was kind of going to be my next question was, was there anything that you were surprised that, uh, didn't get kind of more attention or any attention at all. I think for me, one has been combined um, and maybe a little bit of Swift UI. They did implement some new things, but they didn't say like, this is Swift UI 3 and we've introduced a bunch of things. They did add a ton of cool things like uh, multi-column tables and everything, but um, mm -hmm. you yeah, know, they I, flushed I, it out. I guess all the missing bits. I, yeah, I guess it was still less than I was expecting. Is there anything like that for you too that you know you thought maybe would have been hit harder? Anything you were looking forward to? I'm just here to learn, guys. <laughs> Don't put me on the spot. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I guess you did say that you didn't want there to be a whole bunch of new stuff that is introduced that then would overwhelm you, right? Yeah. So I guess it's good that Apple did not have a bunch of new stuff, um, and it's just a small iteration on what was already there. Yeah. Uh, I just remember there was a little thing that they added. It's probably not that big of a deal, but it was something that... Um, so in my app, not pho, there's a part where um, in some of the description, we use Vietnamese terminology. And to show a difference between that versus like the rest that is in English, we wanted to do like a different font or a different like formatting type, that kind of idea. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. early, before, it wasn't possible to do that. So um, we 
Dimitri kind of had to help me with like parsing out the the strings that we had to then like hey do a check if the the terminology has these pound keys in front of it then then if that's the case then like change the formatting of that so they just added something called a markdown where you can just I forgot what was the the keys that they use but essentially you can just specify that in your string without needing to do any specific check so that was one thing i just remembered <laughs> yeah having markdown just at the tips of your fingertips um so markdown cool. parsing i think is is going to be huge for a lot of apps so you might be familiar with this if you've ever used like slack or any number of um uh, message apps like Discord as well has this. Anytime you put s- stuff around underscores, it becomes italic. If you put stars, it becomes bold. Uh, you can make links you can, like this. You can put code segments like this. You can strike through text like this. All of that is now taken care of by the frameworks. Um, and this works not just in Swift, but in Swift UI, but also with Objective C and Foundation. Um, so I think it's really cool that this has been added, um, and it will delete a lot of code for a ton of people once they can require iOS 15 and macOS 12. Yeah. I'm super excited for Markdown support. Markdown is life-changing to me coming from, you know, Pages or Microsoft Word in, in high school and stuff and for formatting. Markdown just makes everything so much simpler. So having it kind of as a first-class citizen is really exciting. Um, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that Swift, um, not Swift, uh, Slack for iOS uses this because their current Markdown live processor is a hot steaming pile of uh, dumpster fire. Um, and like, for example, if you start using Markdown, it will like change the font on you, but then it doesn't change it back when you're done using the Markdown. It's 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 not good. Yep. Uh, so I, I hope uh, that Slack kind of makes use of these new technologies and wrap over their own because their own is lacking. Um even though like it works fine on the Mac, I don't get it. Uh, any case, um, so I, I really think that a lot of these like their quality of life improvements, um, and Xcode has a ton of quality of life improvements uh, as well. Um, there was a thread by Paul Hudson, I think, uh, that you showed me last night, where uh, he was going and uh, just typing some code and showing uh, some of the changes. One of which was if you type a symbol that is part of a framework that your project knows about, but you didn't import that framework, it's going to insert that import statement for you. Um, if you type if let, uh, if, if let and then a variable name, it will automatically suggest variable name equals variable name, which is a super common pattern oh, when you're unwrapping cool. optionals. Uh, if you type switch uh, colors and colors is an enum, uh, and you hit return, it will automatically fill out that switch with all the cases for you. Um, were there any others that I'm missing? Mm, I think there was one oh. where if you do a loop through an array. Oh yeah, if if, if you the type... names matches in a way. Then yeah, so just... if you have a an array called names, yeah. right? Uh, and you say for name, name, and then it'll just fill out the rest in of names. It, for you. it will mm. it will figure out the singular and the plural. Um, so I think a lot of that is going to make typing code a lot easier because a lot of that code in Swift is really inverted, where the the thing that you have comes after what you're typing. And therefore, autocomplete up until now was not super useful. You just had to hunt for that property name again and then like copy-paste it um, to get it where you wanted. So I think a lot of those improvements are going to be very, very useful going forward. Um, and another one from Xcode is uh, documentation support. 
uh, has been completely overhauled. So uh, you've all heard us, uh, you, our listeners, have all heard us complain at length about how you should uh, do documentation-driven development. And Apple actually used that terminology uh, when they were introducing their new DocC uh, documentation compiler, uh, which will build up documentation just like uh, the documentation that's in Xcode, but for your app or for your library that you're writing, um, which makes all those documentation comments that you've been slowly putting in your project, right? Uh, <laughs> that you've been slowly adding. <laughs> right. Like you've been doing that, right? Uh, well, if you have been doing that, uh, the next time you compile your project in um, Xcode 13, you will get fully-fledged documentation um, that you can even export as a web page. And they're saying they're going to open-source all this. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. That's really cool. Um, I'm excited for that. Um, one other thing that you, uh, well, we were talking about in our in our Quill uh, in our Quill chat. Join our Quill channel group thing. I don't join know the what club. you call that. Join the club. Completion.io slash join the club. There we go. Um, <laughs> we were talking. There was quite a, a bit of talk about all of the uh, collaboration tools. Now we've got uh, pull requests and everything in. Mm-hmm. Um, in Xcode directly. And, uh, you know, I don't, I generally, I'll just use the terminal for commits and, and everything, but it is nice at times just to even have what we have now, which is, you know, basic commit pull, uh, push support. So even more of that integration where, uh, like they were talking about just staying in one application is going to be really nice. So, um, I hope that it works with more than just GitHub because at work we use Bitbucket um i don't know if they said anything about that or not but well xcode does like have Slack. support for bitbucket directly right. um so i imagine it would work otherwise maybe this is a good opportunity to jump ship from bitbucket and go to github i mean it's where the tool support is right i mean i use github for my own personal stuff but at work you know i i don't have the the ability to do that um <laughs> let's see there was one other thing with that I can't remember, though. One um, thing with the pull request I think is immensely cool is it allows you to do a bit more during your review. So traditionally, to review a pull request, you need to go to the website. Uh, you see a lightly code-highlighted uh, version of the code. You have no clue if it compiles or not. You have to do extra yeah. <laughs> work to verify any of that. Uh, one excellent thing about this being all integrated in Xcode is you can you can go ahead and jump to that pull request without kind of disturbing the work that you're doing. Uh, You can go ahead and edit it and add comments right there in Xcode. And you can build and run and place breakpoints and see if it works um, without doing much more uh, work. Um, And I haven't tried it to see how well this works, but if it's done well, I think that's going to really change how much people give thoughtful like reviews to code. Uh, and that's one of the best ways of improving code quality, honestly, um, is just to make sure a second person sees it and co- comments on it and make sure it works. So anything to improve that um, whole process, I think I'm entirely in favor for. Yeah. You know, at work, we someone else has to approve the code before it gets merged. But like you said, it's just on a website and, and you know, I'll look through the code before I um, before I approve it. But a lot of times I'm not going to test it. Um, it's generally something that is either something way above my pay grade. I just don't know how it works or uh, it's just not um, 
something I'm familiar with, even if it's something that someone else is doing uh, sort of more at the level that I would be able to understand. So being able to pull it in and, and run it and debug it if I have to in a much easier fashion without me having to jump into the, the terminal or tower and, you know, check it out myself, just streamlining that process is, is going to be really nice. And I agree that that will hopefully help, you know, code quality in general. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like uh, we're all kind of waiting in anticipation to see how uh, well the new Xcode cloud uh, works. So yeah. I've, apparently this has been in the works for years, ever since Apple built, bought BuddyBuild. Um, so I guess we'll see how well that works. Uh, going forward, but I think the nicest thing about it, and probably the thing that's going to get most people to switch over to it, uh, is the fact that you no longer need to manage your keys um, and your certificates. <laughs> yeah. It's it's all just taken care of by Apple. Um, who'd have thunk that would be possible? Uh, and then you don't need to care about it anymore. And I think that's going to be a huge quality of life improvement. I think, well, I'm interested to see how they do the pricing model, because that's not coming out until fall. But... Uh, you know, we've got someone on our team working on, um, can't, I can't exactly remember what we're doing right now, but they were looking into using Jenkins and all that for CICD. So being able to have something first party and like you said, managing keys and all that is going to be amazing. Uh, having the Xcode integration of seeing uh, how the builds go, uh, where it failed and everything is, is going to be really nice. So I'd imagine that quite a few people companies, I guess I should say, will jump on that. And I'm wondering, is it going to be at sort of a tiered level where it's like uh, somewhat like, uh, uh, is it GitHub Actions that you have a limited amount of time? Yeah, 2,000 minutes for most. Right, things. right. So maybe there's a free tier and then up, up to a certain point, you know, maybe, you know, your average, uh, like for not fun or anything, probably doesn't need much build time. Um but for longer <laughs> you'd think <laughs> well i guess it's swift ui so maybe but compared to you know sort sort of more of a, a larger uh app like one that we work on probably needs a lot more time and you know they might tear it or i don't know what do you think <clears throat> i i hope they do go and use a strategy like that because I don't look forward to having a multi-thousand dollar bill from Apple just to kind of submit apps <laughs> to the App Store, um, yeah. unless it's providing me significant, like, benefit. Um, and, like, we can get into another time how well Apple uh, took care of the situation in terms of developer uh, relations. Um, I don't think they did a great job, but, no. uh, again, that can be for another time. Um, so it's, it's probably in Apple's interest to make sure that this is done in a tasteful way. Uh, I think what they did with iCloud, um, and CloudKit is probably a good inspiration in terms of give away a ton of resources, um, but mm -hmm. make those resources very obviously like capped. Um, so that way, you know, like what you're actually going to be using and you know, not to kind of overdo it. Um, mm -hmm. And then, like, you can talk to them if you need to uh, expand that further. And I don't know if there's anyone on record who has ever said that they actually pay for CloudKit because the for limits are quite large. Um, yeah, as are. you get more users, you get more, more capacity. So as long as you're really not, uh, like, overdoing it for one single user, you should be fine. Um, 
So I, I hope that it's, it does something similar. So as long as you're not submitting a new uh, build to run every 10 minutes um, and like completely saturating their servers on 100 devices at once, uh, then I think you should be good. Wait, yeah. you're saying they charge by the minute? that it, Like how long it takes the app to run? Yeah, so GitHub does that, where when you run your testing uh, on a pull request, for instance, it will take up to however many minutes it ta- needs to compile and run all the tests. You mean like if you download the file and then run it? Yeah, so as if you were to download the file and then run it in Xcode and see how long it takes from start to finish, uh-huh. GitHub Actions works the same way, where when you submit a pull request, for instance, you can configure it, uh, to go ahead and, on its own, download and run and test the project. And if it takes five minutes, for instance, you have 2000 for the month, and it will take up five minutes of that. Mm. So if someone submits to a pull request 20 times <laughs> a day, then you're going to eat through those 2000 minutes very quickly. But if you submit a pull request uh, once every, every a day, then you're probably not really going to hit that limit, unless you have something that kind of spun out of control and just sat in an infinite loop and ate up 60 hours of time, then it shouldn't be too much of an issue. As 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 I said before, I think it will be integrated with Bitbucket and stuff like that because Xcode does have credentials for all that. Um, and I, I don't see them kind of just supporting one service at this point if they do have credentials for all sorts of them. So it's probably just an, a question of who has APIs for it and not. Um, so whoever does, then they can go ahead and uh, integrate directly with that. So I think that that is going to be fun to play with. Um, I I applied on my own developer account to kind of hope to get that early access just to play around with it once or twice. I don't think I actually have a big use for Xcode to compile stuff for me um, in the cloud, um, but it will be good to use uh, for like bigger projects. Oh, sorry, now I'm drawing a blank. Um... To fill in Spencer's blank, uh, we also have uh, Playgrounds, uh, Swift Playground support on the iPad, well, which uh, is another facet of Xcode uh, that is not called Xcode, um, but is uh, growing up significantly. So now on the iPad, you can make a full app and submit it to the App Store, which is amazing. One thing about that, I, I can't remember what I was going to say, um, but I... I actually used Swift Playgrounds um, a fair amount, like when Swift UI came out and it was available on on the Swift Playgrounds app. However, the uh, the code completion is terrible because it was just a little uh, strip at the bottom, and you'd have to physically tap it or move your cursor to there. So having just even the uh, the code completion little uh, pop up that that is right where you're typing. That alone is going to make me, you know, use my iPad on the couch and just mess around with Swift UI a ton more. So I'm really excited about that. I, we were talking and I, you know, kind of remarked that it's kind of a bummer that it doesn't, it really will only support um, Swift UI itself as far as I can tell. You know, yeah. there's no straight UI kit that you could put in those Swift UI apps. I wouldn't necessarily submit anything. There's no storyboard. Let's put it that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't necessarily submit anything to the app store, but it is cool that they have this new format, or I think they said it's new where mm-hmm. you can, you know, write whatever you want on your iPad, export it, and then throw it into Xcode and it, you can just pick up from there. Um, so 
that's cool. I think I'd use it more just with that one thing of better code completion. Mm -hmm. I really hope that that new format is based on Swift packages um, because that means that it will be an extensible format going forward. Um, and it's not just another version of the Xcode project file, which is gnarly to say the least. Um, <laughs> so uh, if it is just a simplified thing like Swift packages, just a folder of source files basically, and it mm -hmm. will compile it all and you put your resources in a different folder and you're kind of good to go. Um, I think that will that will be the perfect balance to strike in terms of a new project folder, a project format uh, going forward. Um, yeah. Lynn, you also used Swift packages very early on. Um, so I did. Not Swift packages, uh, uh, Swift playgrounds. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and, and you experienced the pain of trying to build something more complex, right? Uh, are you talking about the, the ASL thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, this was back in 2019 when uh, I was applying for the WWDC scholarship, and they required a, a Swift UI, or not Swift UI, a Swift Playground project. And I, and of course at that at that time there was no Swift UI, so everything was done programmatically with like UI Kit, and of course I learned <laughs> uh, storyboards, so it was not very you know intuitive and. I had a difficult time with that, yeah. And I and in order to create like files, it wasn't like there was no place for you to really create new files. You yeah. so I I think you had to do it on the computer and then drag it in somehow onto the iPad and then you open it from there and then you work on it. So it was limited. They've definitely come a long way. Uh, it's it's really cool to see that. Mm -hmm. um, going back to Xcode thirteen. Uh, what are your thoughts on get, getting rid of the file extensions and just having those icons for all of the different file types? Have you seen that? I looked at that jumble of color, and it was really pretty when it's not a project that I'm actually looking at. And then when I opened <laughs> one of my projects, I'm like, where is everything? I don't know where I am. What is what? Are these folders, I guess? Um, I was very lost. Yeah. I'm going to be I think it'll. <laughs> I'm gonna be I think it's going to take a little getting used to for sure. Like what, what is it? Everything's color coded. No, uh, kind of. So like Swift files are one color. Objective C dot M files are another. Dot H's are a third. Yeah. Uh, folders are another. But Images, it doesn't look. Yeah, everything just blends into each other. Um, and I don't know if that's just because I'm like dyslexic at <laughs> the wazoo, um, or if like this is an actual design problem that Apple has. So I guess time will tell, as with most things. Um, I'm not a fan of Big Sur's removal of texture from icons. I think that is like a huge step in the wrong direction in terms of making things easier to see. And I highly suspect this is going to be a very similar case of that, especially when you have a bunch of things that are all different, all next to each other that you need to quickly spot, especially if you remember like spatially where they are, uh, then maybe that just becomes useless and you need to just search for everything from now on. Uh, that might be a thing. Yeah, definitely, definitely going to be interesting. I don't know. Lots of visual changes mm -hmm. with, well, with Mac OS Monterey and everything, but yeah, even within Xcode itself, um, kind of interesting. Yeah, it, it's going to the keynote. I felt like a lot of it was fluff, uh, like mm -hmm. the whole privacy part, uh, the whole health part. 
took a lot of time. And I was really hoping... It, it very much seemed like the Mac section kind of got forgotten at the end uh, there. It was pushed to the very end. Maybe they didn't want it to get drowned out by the, the wonderful privacy and health uh, improvements that they've been working on. Um, but it, it definitely felt like they they were padding time because they had they did not have something ready um and i don't know how much of that is related to like new max that we were all basically expecting um or very much hoping for um but none of that really came uh and it might be because of the chip shortage uh it might be because it wasn't ready or it might be because uh they are waiting for till next year to kind of finish the transition who knows um, but yeah, I, I felt a little bit disappointed by that. Um, and it, it made the keynote kind of underwhelming for me. Like, sure, there weren't any stupid game demos, uh, which they tend to like <laughs> adding in That's for true. bathroom breaks. Um, but like that, those whole sections felt like that to me. I was surprised that it went two hours long. I mean, last WWDC was nice, short, and sweet, especially with sessions. But I think even the keynote was like an hour and a half, if I remember right. Mm -hmm. I can't remember. But they didn't, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like there didn't need to be as much fluff as there was. And, you know, it just, we didn't even get to anything really developer-facing until an hour and 40 minutes in or so. An hour mm -hmm. and 30 minutes in. Yeah, I think so. they mentioned, like, oh, Swift Playgrounds can build apps now. Uh, and that yeah. was, like, the first developer-facing thing they they even mentioned uh, in the It just felt keynote. very much like another Apple event to me. Mm -hmm. You know, so. Without much to announce. Like, That's on true. top of it. Yeah, I mean, one of the most exciting things, like, kind of being facetious here, but was new HomeKit improvements and their new uh, Home standard, which is cool, but... There wasn't a lot there, so mm -hmm. interesting to to kind of see that. Yeah, and like I don't even think TVOS was really mentioned for the most part. No, um, it, it was there in name on the on a slide, but not really verbally announced, as far as I remember. Um, so that, that makes a few years in a row that TVOS is kind of left by the wayside. Um, maybe there's not much to do. Uh, maybe they're not inspired. Um, but it's it's clear that some teams at Apple are doing a whole bunch of new exploratory work, like in the Reality Kit, uh, and one of the Reality Kit talks uh, that we watched, they were showing how you can just take a hundred or so images of an object, pump it into a command line tool on the Mac, and you'll get a 3D object out of that. Um, mm -hmm. And that is like magic. Um, you don't have to name things in any particular way, you just have to just take a lot of pictures of all kind of directions and sizes, and it will take care of the rest. Um, and that is just magic from like a normal person's point of view. And it's really cool to see Apple doing that. But when they also don't add anything to TVOS, it really shows that, okay, they're kind of done with that platform. They don't really have much to add there. Um, and it's, it's kind of disappointing because I, I personally think TVOS is a cool thing. Um, and the fact that there isn't anything really cool on it, I don't think is down to the developers that Apple uh, doesn't think uses their platform all that much. Um, like, it's, it's, it's interesting to see what is being done and what is not being done. Yeah. I mean, look, 
they just gave you a new remote. That's that's enough to hold you off for like five more years, right? <laughs> Which I keep just losing, leave them by the be. Way. <laughs> oh no, I'm in love with mine. It's I mean, it's not the best remote in the world, but it's so much better than the the I don't know little puck that you had before. So it's it's good. On, it's... on the topic of remotes, the back button on the developer app on the Apple TV does not always exit the video, and I don't know what's up with that. <laughs> hmm. Uh, Apple, I think you should take a look at your uh, developer app. <laughs> you might need some new APIs to better right? support it or something. <laughs> Just uh, so today is Tuesday in the week mm-hmm. of WWDC, so we have a ton of um, new talks to go, and I'm really excited to see them. I went through last night uh, just bookmarking all of the ones that I wanted to do uh, to watch. And it ends up being at least 10 a day <laughs> there. Were, I mean, <laughs> for as much as we've said, there wasn't a ton there. There are like Dimitri said, these nice sort of uh, refinements and polishes to the things that we are already, we, we do already have like a bunch of things with Swift UI, um, uh, concurrency, um, just new things with Swift, but even like I've got a couple in here that are, let's see, uh, well, talking about Xcode Cloud, uh, some Catalyst stuff, accessibility, um, demystifying Swift UI, I'm sure that'll be cool going into how it actually works behind the hood. I'm kind of thinking um, if anyone's read kind of one of the first chapters of Opsy.io's swift ui book they kind of go into that so i'm wondering if that'll be more of a first party look into how swift ui uh, works behind the scenes and kind of helping us reason about how to make our swift ui code better and, and more efficient um intelligence i thought the intelligence was actually a really cool part of uh, ios and ipad os 15 is they're really kind of levering leveraging that a lot where we've got mm-hmm. all of these um, machine learning, um, I don't know if you call them cores or are they separate from the GPU? I can't remember. Yeah, the neural cores are. are separate. Okay, so these neural cores that, you know, are doing uh, every year that they announce a new edition of that, it's just like, it's trillions of operations and it's just, you know, incredible, but it's also incredible to see them leveraging that and not using it more of like a marketing thing, mm-hmm. but actually saying, hey, we're going to suggest apps that uh, should be in, in focus and everything. Uh, so that's really cool. So like I said, just a lot of things to be excited about that aren't necessarily um, brand new, but just improvements to what we already have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, it's it's clear that there's, as, as we've been kept on saying, lots of refinements. Uh, and that's clearly the, that's that's the umbrella that Apple is using this year. Um, so it very much is a Snow Leopard year or iOS 12 year. Was 12 the one that was full of refinements or was that 13? I, I can't I remember. remember. We've, we've said this multiple times. <laughs> but it, it definitely is another refinement year. And I don't know yeah. if that's a side effect of everyone working from home uh, for a year. Or if it's a side effect of Apple kind of feeling the pains that have grown up uh, for quite a while, I, I remember seeing um, I, I remember seeing someone make an analogy to what technical debt is, and the analogy that they use was it's like a restaurant. 
if you don't clean your restaurant, eventually you're not going to be able to serve edible food out of it anymore. Uh, and the same goes with development. If you don't really clean up what you've been building at a super fast pace, you're going to end up with a mess that you can't really build on anymore. Um, so I think this is the year that Apple kind of doubled down on that. And as a result, we got a few features out of it. Um, but that was as a result of them cleaning up and not a result of them like putting a whole bunch of new time into new features. I'm sure a ton of features like the object model creation probably took years to kind of put together. Um, and like you said, they use the neural cores to really like do all the work. Um, and somewhat interestingly, that's only available on the Mac. It's not even available on iOS. Uh, to go ahead and do that work. So I imagine it takes hours um, just based on that requirement. Um, so it's it's probably not trivial by any means, but it, it certainly does feel like magic in the, at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. uh, just on the note of all of this reality kit stuff, I've seen a couple examples of, of people messing around with it on Twitter, and the results are amazing how detailed these 3D models are just coming mm -hmm. from your phone. It's incredible. So super excited about that. I mean, when they were talking about um, just, you know, making those, um, I can't remember exactly what the format was, but they mentioned two different file formats. And one of them is a format that you can use to 3D print objects. And I was like, how cool would that be if you just, I mean, I don't really know how it. many, yeah, if you have something physically mm -hmm. there, I'm not sure you'd want to print it again, but you could. That's <laughs> super cool. <laughs> so, um, you know, lots lots of cool stuff going on, even if they're not groundbreaking and new. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I remember someone did a full body scan of themselves uh, to help with um, their stitch work and stuff like that. So I'm actually making mm. clothing and cosplay and stuff like that and they used a model of themselves that they then 3d printed to work on so it's like a perfect replica of their proportions um so i'm wondering if anyone's gonna uh pull out their camera and scan another person and then throw it into this object creation thing and then get a usdz model they can just uh quick look on top of their desk or something i don't know what <laughs> you'd want to do with it uh, but I think the fact that you can even ponder such ridiculous things, I think is perfect. It's wonderful. Yep, exactly. So this week's episode is brought to you by Sticky Widgets. Sticky Widgets is the absolute easiest way to put a sticky note on your home screen and edit it quickly. It's so easy, you never need to open the app itself. Add a sticky widget to your home screen uh, through the iOS home screen editor and tap on it to edit. That's about it. Of course, there's tons of customization options as well. Font, color, text, size, alignment all conveniently located in the system's edit widget interface. Add as many sticky widgets as you like, or put them in a smart stack. Sticky widgets are digital sticky notes for your phone. Use them however you'd like. And if you are looking forward to iOS 15 when it comes out in the fall, uh, sticky widgets would work on your iPad as well. So that's one thing that we didn't mention, uh, but widgets and stuff are coming to uh, the iPad. The iPad is growing up a little bit, so uh, lots of fun things to look forward to there. So uh, Sticky Widgets is a free download on the App Store and additional font and color options are available for a one-time in-app purchase. Thank you so much to Sticky Widgets for sponsoring Code Completion. Check out Sticky Widgets on the iOS App Store today. So with all that out of the way, it's time for Compiler Error, uh, my favorite segment where I get to torture everyone. So let's go over to that. 
Oh, I finally get to be a part of this. I always watch you guys <laughs> struggle so much. Yep. Welcome to the suffering. <laughs> so we have four statements uh, for you all today, and uh, they are all based on a WWDCs of the past. Uh, so let's go to statement number one. Uh, marking the start of the jacket trend that would be used for several years, WWDC 10 gave each attendee a black track jacket with the number 10 stitched on the back. Statement number two, WWDC 12 was the last event hosted by Steve Jobs, but did see the introduction of the final generation of AirPod Extremes and Time Capsules, which would no longer be updated. Statement number three, WWDC 13 sold out in a tremendously fast 71 seconds, but some attendees would later say attendance was worth it since it featured Phil Schiller's can't innovate, my, can't innovate anymore my ass quote. And statement number four, WW16, uh, WWDC16 uh, marked the first departure from holding the keynote at the Moscone Center in years by hosting it at the Bill Graham Civic Auditorium instead. Uh, so, Lynn, since you are our special guest for today, you got to go first. <laughs> For number one, I know what it looks like because it's in our closet, <laughs> but the word stitch, like, are you talking about like needle, like thread stitching or like a, like printed on sort of like a, a adhesive printed on, um, or there's no distinction to you. And there's no distinction to me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't pick that as the part that I okay so then one is true on. <laughs> one is true as for the others i don't know because i didn't really start following or i didn't meet you until which dub dub did i meet you he's the introduction of the final generation uh i know they stopped supporting airport and you kept complaining about that so maybe <laughs> two is also true <laughs> Uh, I'm just going to pick. I'll go with three, since I'm not really sure on any of those. <laughs> An excellent choice. Spencer? Okay. Um, well, since Lynn cleared up number one for me, that was one that I had no idea about, so thank you for that. Um, I I do have a couple... Air- Actually, no, I have Airport Expresses. Um, so I don't know about Airport Extreme. It seems like it was around then that the time capsules and airport extremes were discontinued. So I think that's true. Um, I'm, uh, I can't exactly remember what the Bill Shiloh's quote was about, but I'm assuming it's the trash can. So that was the last time that that was updated was in 2013. Uh, and the only thing with 16 is I'm wondering if it was later hosted at the San Jose McHenry center or whatever it's called. So I'm going to go with number four, but I yeah, not super sure about this one, but we'll go with four. Excellent choice as well. Uh, so <laughs> let's start with number one, since you both agree with that. Uh, so marking the start of the jacket trend that would be used for several years, WWDC 10 gave each attendee a black track jacket with the number 10 stitched on the back. Uh, and that one is absolutely true because every year, almost every year since then, they've had a jacket. Um, and most of those had the numbers on them. So we had 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. And I, I lost your 11. Oh, he, no. he let me borrow it. And I, I uh, sort of like hung it on my backpack. And it kind of just fell. And I didn't realize. Mm. 
And then later on, I realized that jacket was important. <laughs> but we're still... <laughs> just like, this jacket just had a 11 on it. What's so important it was, it was about this jacket? I really, yeah, I really didn't know. And it's I... not like there's only 5,000 in the world. Oh, so, no. We're still together, so it, I guess it wasn't that important, right? Yeah, honestly, I find the jackets tacky, so I never wear them. <laughs> yeah, I never wear mine either. Yeah, so that one is true. So good job to both of you. Uh, statement number two. So WWDC was the f- last event hosted by Steve Jobs, uh, but did see the introduction of the final generation of air product streams and time capsules, which would no longer be updated. Uh, so both of you also believe this to be true. Um, and what version of Wi-Fi came with the most recent version of Airpar- Airport Extremes? I think the air- the last Airport Extreme had AC, right? Mm-hmm. So, so did I... AC exist in 2012? Probably not. So I don't know the answer to that question because this one Dang. is still false anyways. Um, and uh, the Airport Extremes and Time Capsules were last updated in 2013 uh, along mm-hmm. with the Mac Pro and stuff like that. Uh, so that was the first thing that's wrong with this. And the second thing that's wrong with it is that Steve Jobs last hosted the event in 2011 not 2012. Um, so this one is unfortunately for both of you the compiler error, which is got us twice misaligned. So let me correct that. No, still misaligned. There you God. go. Much better. Um, so the, yeah, that one's the compiler error. Uh, Steve Jobs uh, last hosted the event in 2011, uh, which I believe was the iPhone 4 uh event might have been the 4s um don't remember uh but moving on to number three um so wwdc 13 did sell out in a tremendously fast 71 seconds i remember miraculously waking up at 5 a.m uh for this one um only for the checkout page to 500 on me uh and i not getting a ticket uh, so that was the start of my shenanigans of trying to get tickets uh, for Dub Dub. Um, I somehow managed to get a ticket every every time since then, except like twice. Um, but yeah, fun fun stuff. It's the year before the lottery started. Good times. Sorry, Lynn. <laughs> uh, and it is also, like you said, uh, Spencer, the year that the Mac Pro came out, uh, and Phil Schiller uh, proclaimed on stage can't innovate anymore my ass even though they stopped innovating immediately after that um for a few years as they tend to do the current mac pro is in that current slump it feels like um where are the mpx modules apple could be updating them right about now (laughs) apple no i'm just kidding there's a huge Hmm. chip shortage apple um and boba shortage oh and a boba shortage so they can't even oh no they can't even have boba with their chips uh, which leads us to statement number four. WWDC 16 was absolutely the first departure from uh, the Moscone Center in years, but the rest of the conference was still in Moscone West. The keynote and the bash, however, were at the Bill Graham Civic Auditorium, which is a few blocks away, um, right next to, I think it's the Capitol building um, for, not the Capitol, the city. What's town hall yeah the the town hall for the city whatever the big building in san francisco that looks important um oh i, I have no idea yeah uh so that place 
Uh, that's where they had the keynote for that year for some reason. I think because they had more people than ever, um, and Moscone just wasn't large enough uh, to have that many people in a single room, um, even though they generally had overflow rooms. Anyways, uh, it wasn't big enough, so they went over to this fancy auditorium. Uh, we all got fancy seats, which was like a two-level kind of thing. Um, that was fun. Um, but the following year, they went to San, they went back to San Jose, I should say, since it used to be in San Jose in the 90s, I think. I don't know. I was too young back then. So, you were born, Ethan. Uh, you were just born. Yeah. <laughs> too young. Uh, so, good job to neither of you. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Better luck next time. <laughs> Um, so as always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Code Completion to know when episodes get released. Uh, and feel free to tweet at us if there is any topic you'd like for us to get into. Uh, thank you so much, Lynn, for joining in uh, for this Dub Dub special spectacular. Uh, thanks for having me. Sorry I wasn't able to contribute. But I did learn a lot from your conversation, so Yay. <laughs> Yeah, I remember you distinctly enjoyed us having the the live the live yeah uh, show because you'd like to listen at the same time, uh, and then we stopped that. So yeah. sorry. <laughs> so I guess this way you get to listen in and know what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, so where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Lynn Bunuel. So that's L I N H B O U N I O L. Yeah. Um, and uh, do you happen to host any other podcasts that people might be interested in? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Dimitri and I are in another podcast called Explain It Slowly, where I ask Dimitri tons of technical questions, and he'll answer. Yeah. Hopefully correctly. <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, go, go listen to it. Be sure to catch the episode from, I think, a few episodes back, uh, where Spencer was a guest on that show as well. And got uh, absolutely destroyed. <laughs> by the question of Lynn's evilness. Um, so, uh, once again, I want to give my thanks uh, to you, Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis. That's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-I-T-I-S uh, on Twitter. Um, and uh, my name is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Buniol. That's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L on Twitter, and we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye.